When I think about legendary hard rock, heavy metal guitarists, you know, the first three come to mind, and that's Eddie Van Halen, Randy Rhodes, and yes, George Lynch. And he will be joining us today on episode 77 on Tulsa Music Stream. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I want to introduce you to everybody before we uh, get into talking about the new Sweet Lynch album that's coming out soon. Uh, from your right to left, we have Scott. Hey, man. And we also have uh, we have nine in the middle. Hi, George. And then my name is Jana. We're three local musicians here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, who are greatly inspired by you and your your work over the years. And we're really anxious to to talk with you. So thank you for the time today. Um, <clears throat> before we get into uh, talking about other things, we certainly want to bring up this new Sweet Lynch album. That's coming out on May 19th on Frontiers. This is you guys' third release, and it's your first release in six years. And I know that Michael Sweet described the album as diverse, complex, and he thinks it flows beautifully. What are your sentiments about this release? He doesn't really know what he's talking about. (laughs) Crazy guy. He's more of just kind of like, he's sort of like the, uh, you know, like a mascot. All right. <laughs> yeah. Propaganda seriously. So, I mean, you know, he's fun to talk to and stuff. And we like having him around. Like, he'll get us coffee and things like that that we need nice. like, when, when we get start getting tired. Yeah. Writing all the songs and playing all the instruments. Right. So, but yeah, he's very supportive. Uh, I like the new name uh, because we used to be called Sweet and Lynch, but you, you fixed that, which I like that. Mm. Sweet Lynch. There you go. Sweet yeah. Lynch. Sweet Lynch. It's it's like a sugar substitute, but even better, right? Oh my God! It's like stevia times one thousand. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So, so you you guys have put out put out this, or you're getting ready to put out the album, and you know I was kind of curious. You've collaborated with so many different artists. What qualities are you looking for in other artists when you're considering who you want to collaborate with? How much money they're going to give me. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good answer. I don't care if the music sucks. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you do with it afterwards. Unless you just pay me a whole bunch. <laughs> of- That's all I care about because I have morals. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Right. You got to stick. You got a, you got a family to take care of. Yeah, man. I, damn. No, I just like the money for me. So I can yeah. buy more guitars and amps. hobbies, man. Hobbies. I think we've caught George in a feisty mood today. He's yeah. a little feisty. Now, you guys just released the new video for Miracle, which it shows you guys in, in front of uh, a bunch of like old school uh, top TVs or what they call those uh, old school TV box TVs. Oh, yeah. And um, I know you've done array of different videos. You've you've done volcanoes. You've you've been on the back of semi bed trucks going down Sunset Boulevard. What what made you guys come up with the concept with the old school TV sets? Well, I can't, uh, I didn't have any part in, in the content, in the concept. Uh, uh, that was the, uh, I believe the director came up with that. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, we were just kind of told what to do. Um, no, but I agree with you. I think, I think it was, um, you know, you got to do a lot more with less these days, you know, with, with, you know, a lot of different endeavors, whether music and otherwise, but, um, you know, the days of quarter million dollar videos are, you know, that's way behind us. So, um, you know, it's difficult to come up with something that uh, is somewhat unique, at least for the genre. It has a little hook to it and stylistically cool instead of, and and other, something other than a straight performance video, which is, you know. Once you probably, once you've made about 50 of them, you probably really give a care. Those are the most cost-effective videos to make. If you don't have any budget, you can right. you can stand there and pretend like you're playing the song, you know. Um, which is the worst part of making a video for me is 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 lip-syncing a, a guitar solo. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no, I, I thought it was a cool vibe, you know. Um, uh, and very, as I said, uh, you know, time and cost-effective, and uh, and it, you know. Kind of video drone kind of vibe, you know. Sure. So yeah, um, we did two videos that day, you know. So we and and uh, and it still wasn't a full day, so we were sort of, sort of in and out, you know. We just mm. kind of got it done, switch guitars, switch outfits, and switch locations. And I mean, it, it was a good solid day, but you know, uh, I was really proud of the of the director and everybody that that you know worked really hard to make that happen. I sometimes feel bad because, you know, we're getting all the attention, but we're doing the least amount of work, you know. That's a painstaking process, making videos. I mean, that you're just, you're doing the same shot over and over for hours, correct? Is it still like that? No, not like we used to. No, before, back in the, in the battle days, it used to be like that. It was just endless, endless. And, and, and then it got to the point where, you know, I started thinking, you know, I, I'm not going to try to pull rank here or anything, but I think this is a little bit ridiculous. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> necessary to run through the song 10 times for each shot. And, and it's fatiguing and it's, I think, pointless, you know. Sure. It's editing harder and, and, you know, you get a couple good takes, you should be good, you know. Yeah, seems like it. Hey, I want to I want to put up a flyer on the screen. Uh, you guys are going to be part of the Monsters of Rock cruise. 
April 29th through May 4th with Lynch Mob. You know, these are so much fun for the fans, but I'm guessing they're equally fun for the artists because is that kind of like a a big family reunion where you get to see a bunch of your buds and hang out for a few days on the water? There's that, yeah. And the fact that you are out there on the water and going to hopefully, you know, cool destinations, um, getting some sun and, and getting in the water and seeing some different places, you know. Uh, right uh and so yeah i mean it's it's a little bit of a vacation uh a work vacation uh you know there we, we i'm sure you're aware we we do more than just play you know we've got other commitments right. you know like i just this morning uh the monsters of rock uh guys asked me if i would be okay with doing an art thing um which i agreed to do so you know right. i mean do that and then there's some jams and then there's meet and greets and like I said Eddie Trunks usually I think he's going to be there and then you do yeah. an interview with him and then there's some guitar uh contests that I would I'll be one of the you know on the judge panel judging panel very cool uh, so you know the, the the thing that I hope for when I go on those uh cruises is that uh we don't have to play when we hit the main cool port and everybody's because there's not going to be anybody there to watch you and you're not going to have to go to the cool place. Oh, gotcha. Okay. (laughs) Exactly. That makes sense. It's a kiss cruise and we went to Cabo and we fortunately did not have to play when we were docked at Cabo. So we got to go and do Cabo, you know, super cool. Super cool. And in addition to that, it looks like you guys have some more dates coming up and we're, we're excited because there's a date on May 6th in Broken Bow, Oklahoma. Uh, That's, that's here in our neck of the woods. Do you guys anticipate adding more dates throughout the summer or is it going to be kind of a light, light summer for you show wise? Uh, No, we, we, we tend to add dates pretty close up to, you know, as, uh, I mean, I mean, the Monsters of Rock just got added. Cool. That, that got added like two weeks ago. So okay. uh, we're constantly, our agent is constantly uh, looking to book us um, appropriate, you know, venues or or whatever. Uh, and we, you know, we about half of what we do is is uh, we do the support docking thing, which mm-hmm. works. I, you know, Lynch Mob comes out, we play an hour set. Uh, docking comes out, they do their thing, and then I come out at the end of the docking show and, and jam with them. Yeah, we caught we caught you there at Key West talking about a, a really cool place um, out there in Key West uh, the very first year, and, um, and then there was like a VIP thing, and I was there when I watched, you know, Chips Enough was on bass and, and Andrew Freeman was there singing and, and some guys from Great White. And then you showed up a little bit later, mm-hmm. which I think we had to do like a, a VIP sailing thing, which was really cool. But I got to miss you jamming out uh, at the uh, VIP. But yeah, How, did you enjoy the, that uh, Key West show, Rock Island? Fest? I, again, because, you know, you're in Key West. How could you not enjoy that? Sure. You're right. The ocean and the walking around Key West and, and and you know yeah it's great um but that was the gig that we did and it was a big tent right yes mm-hmm. yeah yeah it was kind of a throw and go just get up and yeah <laughs> right. I remember I remember that one actually very a particular in particular I remember that I didn't ever shut up I just kept <laughs> 
I thought, well, there's no rules here. It's a jam. So if they say it's a jam, then that means I can jam, right? Right. The jam, and I'm going to keep playing, and it's not going to be. And then I started getting a little pushback. I can't remember from who. They're like, kind of, hey, man, you know, it's a little long-winded. I mean, maybe you want to get back to the song. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Wow. There's no yeah. rules in rock and roll. Come on. Yeah, like, <laughs> there was time. They were saying there was a time thing they had to cut off. So there was another band or something. So I had to respect yeah. So, you know, with Lynch Mob, you, I mean, you, you've played with so many people and you got so many projects, you know, uh, just trying to do uh, research on you. I mean, I've known you from the, the, the old school days, but, you know, all of your new stuff is just, it's so widespread and, and so many topics to talk about. You got the end machine, you, you know, you've done stuff with Doug Pinnock, you've done, you know, all this cool stuff. And, and of course now Sweet and Lynch, what's it like to work with so many different people, and I know Lynch Mob has got, you know, have had uh, some cool members in and out of the of that band. But you've got an array of just musicians that you play with constantly. Uh, well, I do it because I can, you know, right. I mean, the opportunity is there for me if I want to, you know, pursue it and, and go after it. Uh, and, and, and I'm very fortunate in that sense. So I'm going to take advantage of that and uh, make as much music music as i can as long as, you know um as long as i still feel compelled to to say something musically and mm-hmm. you know all these guys i play with in these different projects are we're friends and 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 and, and they're enjoyable right. uh, you know they're not it's not not an obligation uh, you know it's not tedious usually you know we're under a kind of a time constraint like with kxm you know, we're all so busy that it's really hard, if not almost impossible, to find that 12 days we need to make an album. And which um, is how we make our records. We go in, we don't write any songs until we see each other. We get in the room, we one day is setting up, we get in the sounds. And then every day after that, we have to write a song, come up from with scratch and start jam. Wow. We just start, we're like, oh, that's cool riff. Wow. And that's beat. And, and let's make some more parts and let's arrange it. And then that'll be half the day. And the next half of the day is like recording it, pro- you know, getting it right, recorded. So it gets recorded properly. And then uh, we do that 11 times and that's mm. our record. Wow. That's incredible. That's a cool process. Yeah. We've done three of those. And, uh, but the problem is finding time, you know, so um, it's, we always have to, do, most of these records are done uh, relatively quickly. Uh, including the Sweet and Lynch record, or the record I released just before Sweet and Lynch earlier this year was the Banishment record. Mm-hmm. And that was one exception to the rule. That was a very long process. That record took 10 years. Wow. Um, off, well, I mean, it wasn't like 10 years of actual working, but right. you know, off and on. But uh, uh, I'm very proud, very, very proud of that record. And, uh, you know, I mean, when you work on something 10 years and it comes out, you're going to, you know, that's kind of a big deal. So uh, really excited about that record. And uh, uh, so, yeah, you know, these are just like ships passing in the night and snowflakes, you know, no two are alike. And it's just like, hey, Ray, hey, Doug, or whoever we're working with, you know, we're all friends. Mm-hmm. We all each other, but then we all have to go back to our our normal gigs, you know. Sure. Uh, hey, not to take you in a totally different direction, but just while I'm thinking about it, we always like to get the artist's perspective on this show about working with different producers. 
So let's go back in time. I know in 81, you guys are breaking the chains. You worked with uh, Michael Wagner and then 84, it was Tom Warman and Roy Thomas Baker. 85 was Neil Kernan and Michael Wagner. Who, in your opinion, which producer do you feel got the most out of you guys during your time in the studio? Well, there was a few others that that we used as well. Uh, uh, Roy Thomas Baker. Uh, He was involved in Tooth and Nail. Um, That was pretty insane to be able to work with him. Queen. Yeah. Yeah. And he would just, you know, we would grill him about that. You know, it's like, what did you do on on this Queen record? And I would have done the same thing. (laughs) And we did some of the Queen stuff, like a lot of the flanging tape flanging that we did on the Tooth and Nail. That was all. Wow. Which those days, you know, pre Pro Tools. I mean, you actually set up two different tape machines and made one slightly out of time with the other one and created that effect. It's just unbelievable to watch Mm -hmm. that happen in real time. Uh, and you know destructive recording process where things right. could go wrong. it was really a nail biter but uh yeah roy was great and you know uh michael wagner was really a disciple of rtb and uh of course we worked with michael before we worked with roy thomas baker but um uh michael was probably the most hands-on I would say hands-on where it needed to be, but the most valuable engineer slash producer we've ever used. Hmm. He, he was the guy that really was such a great engineer and was so right for us that it, he really helped us get those sounds that we needed so that we could play the way we wanted to play. Mm-hmm. And uh, But he wasn't a producer in the sense of a songwriting guy or anything like that. He, he was just basically a, a, a mega engineer. And that's right. what we we needed. We knew what we wanted to do, and we'd written our own songs. We didn't. Need, I didn't think we needed help with that. Sure. But um, so I would say he he was RT, uh, Michael Wagner was our was the probably the guy that was. If I had to pick a guy that we've worked with in all these forty something years, that would be mm, the guy. Yeah. I want to yeah. go back. I mean, you guys, you guys had the songs. You guys had the 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 skills. And um, you crafted a lot, a lot of great albums and stuff with all you know, these producers. But how instrumental was uh, Cliff of Q Prime? Um, how how instrumental was he for Dawkins' success? Uh, I would say he was probably more important than the band. Wow. Uh, I don't think we would. I'm sure we wouldn't have had that anywhere near that kind of success, if any success without Q prime and Cliff Bernstein believing in us and, and fighting for us and being smart managers and opening up uh, lots and lots of opportunities for us to tour and make videos and get in roads at radio and MTV and, and open up for every, almost every major rock act uh, in a 10 year span. Um, it was, I mean, their machine. Um, hmm. And, uh, yeah, I always give Cliff the credit for right. really. You, you spoke about opening up for bands and, and things in, in the early days, and you've done you know headlining and everything like that. What was your experience uh, opening up for bands, and um, do you still get nervous before you go on stage? I don't get nervous. 
uh, and the experience of opening up for the big bands uh, back in the day, I would get nervous back then, especially yeah. right at first, um, to the point where I couldn't play my guitar properly because I'm used wow. to uh, and do I did stupid things. I remember one time we were playing a, a New Year's Eve at uh, someplace in San Francisco, uh, uh, a famous famous like an arena, uh, but I can't remember the name of it. Winter Winterland, I think it was. Oh right, right, yeah, something like that. But it was a famous, cool place. Yeah, and we're and we're playing with Dio. We're opening up for Dio, and he's you know sixteen thousand people. This is the first big show we played that had you know like that kind of size audience. And I was, yeah, I was. Um, I had tremendous stage fright. I was really nervous, but I knew I had to do it. And got out there, and it was over. You know, it was over before it started. Right. It was like we were just like elated, you know, but. It probably didn't sound very good. We were over overdoing it to the max, and I was almost hyperventilating. And I went out, and I remember I got back down on my knees and bent over backwards and couldn't get back up. <laughs> wow! So, you know, I was trying to be old Ted Nugent, Mark Farner, or something. I don't know what I think what I was thinking. <laughs> the the road, my roadie had to run out and lift me back up because I had gotten to the point where I couldn't get back up. Yeah, it didn't <laughs> really stupid shit on stage i heard you tell a horror story on another interview about just how badly opening acts get screwed by the headliner as far as the way the 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 subs are cut by 50 percent, and it basically the opening band is just set up for failure do you think that's a practice that still takes place today or was that just kind of an old school practice back in the day i can only speak to my experience and people I speak to about it, you know, their band members about it. I think it's maybe less of a thing now than it was. It was pretty much everywhere in the eighties. It was, mm -hmm. you were opening up for a big band, you were getting crushed to a lesser or greater extent, depending on the band. Right. Aerosmith was really nice to us and they gave us, they gave us a good, amount of what we needed lights and you know they didn't they didn't they weren't draconian about it yeah you're still the you know i get it you know we're the opening act we don't get all the lights we don't get all the sound we don't get sure. all the stage we don't get to sound check that often but give us enough to do what we do and give the people so that we can give the people what they paid for because we're right. a meaningful act it's not like we're just nobody that nobody knows who we are and you know even then you still respect the musician but um you know people are paying money on that ticket our name is on that ticket uh don't make us sound horrible and look horrible so that people right. you know, can't sound like just to make yourself look better yeah it's sad um so i think that that, that ha we got sandbagged pretty regularly and that was really the one major thing that we that that we had to try to figure out. Uh, I mean, we were, that was just the stream of consciousness thing that we dealt with every single day, especially Jeff and I would just sit there and try to analyze the situation and talk to sound people and the front of house people and the monitor people and the people that own the systems and talk to the bands whenever we could and the, and the techs, our techs, other people's techs and people in the audience, you know, what did it sound like out there? We taped every night. We listened mm -hmm. to it back of the bus we'd we'd sit there and we'd listen to the whole show not only to see where we could improve or what mistakes we made with the vocals or you know anything you know the arrangements 
or how the show uh, show flowed, you know, uh, but also the sound, most importantly, which is like, what? what and then we go out and watch the headliner every night and we just like trying to figure it out. And once in a while, people would tell us stuff that was very enlightening. Um, for instance, uh, I think it was Judas Priest's uh, front of house guy, Gunji, uh, would, would party with us a little bit. So he would open up a little bit after the show at the hotel. And, and we'd be like, dude, I mean, we're just, we, we go out, we hit the same E chord and no, <laughs> nobody bats an eye. People, we look at the audience and we're not getting through. They're, they're, they're going, you know, to get a hot dog or checking their freaking talking to their neighbor. Or how can they talk? I mean, is it that quiet? Right. Over the, and then we go out and watch you guys. And there's this mid low frequency resonating, like right in your yes you know it's when they hit that when priest hits that freaking low e and it's just like yep. it's synthetic it's like women okay i get it's the subs but there's something else going on here <laughs> and they tell you know we there's a lot of ways to do that to an opening act i mean you you get rid of the subs or or you dial everything back you dial the whole system back you got put basically put a governor on it um you're not allowed to use a lot of the rack stuff none of the gates a lot of the none of the a lot of the effects you're not allowed to bring in put in your own effects mm. uh, and sometimes uh they'll they'll do things with the eq and they'll they'll go up and eq the system not not on the board but on the system and they'll duck your mids so wow. you have that presence and the guitars live in the mid-range there's no way you're going to get around them i don't care how hard you play how good your songs are or how you know tight you are you can't get around that you're not so so once you discover that that is an intentional effort being made, I, I'm gathering from what you're telling us that even if you were to go and confront, they would just laugh at you. Is that right? It's just the, it's just the politics of, of touring. Mm -hmm. um, wow. You can complain about it, but what good is that going to do? I mean, sure. nowadays, usually the, the opening act has their own boards and they're just limited to using that board. And, the, the, you know, the headliner come in and they're, they've got a whole other world happening somewhere mm -hmm. else ship and you got some little thing tucked up in the corner and that's right. what you that's same for the monitors as well and you know i mean i still deal with that at my age doing this for this long if i'm in a support situation without mentioning any band names but i still deal with it on a daily mm -hmm. basis yes. and it's very well, very frustrating we, we've seen you uh i saw you guys uh open up for that aerosmith tour when you came to yeah. Tulsa, and it was an amazing show i had a great time uh, that I believe that was the permanent vacation tour. It was, yes. And yeah, it, you guys rocked it. But you guys came here during the Under Lock and Key uh, album and you played on a cabaret theater. And we had some friends that opened up for you guys. And that was a really good time. That's my very first time ever uh, seeing you guys. And I actually had the opportunity to open up for you guys here in Tulsa. It was at the brink. And uh, I got to meet you backstage. And that was back when you were all, you know, working out and everything and i was i did my set and you guys got done with yours i already been drinking i don't know <laughs> me and you had some long conversation backstage i don't i'm sure you don't remember it but i don't either <laughs> i was hoping maybe you did no. but uh you know you guys like let let us have like you know all of your food back there you let us eat anything we wanted have anything you had your buses back there That's everyone kind. was really nice to us wow. so 
whatever they, how they treated you back in the day, you, you surely didn't do that for us. And so I just wanted to say, I appreciate that. That's very cool. You didn't sandbag you? No, (laughs) you didn't, you didn't teabag him either. (laughs) Your your son was there as well. Um, there in Tulsa and, uh, at the place called the brink. Anyway, it was a great show. I got this, uh, I sat and watched you do your uh, sound check, which was an amazing, you know, there's only two guys that blew my mind during sound checks. And that was you and John five. And that was just an, an incredible experience Mm -hmm. for me. So. Hey, hey, George, what do you remember about the uh, hearing aid, uh, the star song recording all that and, and all the uh, uh, the cast of characters? Uh, well, um, yeah, I, 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 well, the whole thing was this, you know, you get thrown up there with however, however many of uh, your contemporaries, you know, that that's pretty, uh, that's a lot of pressure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> It was it was basically like a casting call. Everybody was just waiting outside these big long benches all at me in the courtyard there, all around the all the way around the corner. So I don't know how many guitar players were there, but it was pretty much every a who's who. And uh and I was just one of those guys, you know. So but you know, you get your your little slot, you know, they call you in, your number comes up and you go in, you get your your 30, 30 minutes or whatever they gave you. Mm. Got, you got to plug in and, and and go for it. I brought my own amp, which I, I was happy I did that. I, I very particular about that. And some people didn't do that. They kind of just plugged into what's ever there. Like, oh, we got this. We already got a Marshall. I go, no, no, no. <laughs> I got my own amp. We're gonna, and I had to insist on that. I remember that they, they didn't want to do it because it was a hassle. Like, no, well, just that's it's. We're gonna have to do that. It's important, you know, to me. It's important to the listener when they hear the end result. So, right. uh, doesn't take that long. Uh, so we did that and it came out good. You know, I just jammed what, what I played was, you know, what I actually played when I was sitting there in the, you know, standing there in the control room and jamming to the song was better than what they actually used on the record. Uh, unfortunately, but whatever. (laughs) I want to take you in a little bit different direction again. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a, a hot topic these days where, and of course, social media is is just a, a tool where you got a lot of brave people that like to bash on people from afar. And, and there's a lot of talk about singers from our era and their vocals starting to degrade. I know Don has faced criticism, Vince, you know, the list goes on. What I want to ask you about is, you know, naturally, as we age, everything starts to deteriorate. And I know personally, I play the guitar because of you, and I want to thank you for that. But my dexterity is starting to go a little bit. It doesn't sound like you're losing any dexterity in your hands, but do you are you starting to feel a little bit of dexterity loss at all? Well, I'm not in the sense that you're you're uh, that you're suggesting. But in the sense that I don't really go for that anymore as much, you know, I'm not, it's not the eighties. I'm not trying to be that guy, you know, I'm not, I'm not working on having some hyper stretch and have, you know, being at supersonic playing at supersonic speeds or anything like that. Right. I mean, I'm really not trying to play to impress other guitar players as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to succeed at that because there, I mean, there's guys out there that, I mean, that ship has sailed, you know, I'm 68 years old. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to. You're going to have anything left to prove that way. Well, and and plus, you know, if it, if we're talking on, on a technical level, I'm not going to win any awards for that, you know. Uh, so I, I, I think I just, 
my goal is just to is is just to play what is what I'm hearing in my heart and and on a practical level serve the song and and, and sometimes that requires being technical and being fast and, and sometimes it doesn't you know so um I don't know I don't feel like should be reacting to anyone else or trying to compete so I'm not trying to do these hyper technical things as much I'm mean, I still do it to a certain extent but mm-hmm. It's not the driving force behind my playing. I'm not trying to keep up with Inge or, sure. or Eddie or whoever else is around. You know, I just I learn from other people that I listen to. You know, uh, contemporary guys and stuff that are, that are very impressive and beautiful players. And you know, I, they're, they're inspiring. You know, speaking but, speaking of that, you know, you 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 were everybody grew up it was either eddie van halen or it was randy Rhodes. but you were like you were a significant name already in that same time man because they because i've heard your name mentioned so many times yeah it was eddie and it was randy but george lynch too uh how well did you know randy um we were all kind of just on that we're you know level that we're not going hanging out with each other at the house but we're running into each other a lot because we're playing the same shows or on the same bills. We have the same friends. Uh, we're getting get our, our guitars worked on by the same people. So we hung in the same circles, but I wouldn't, you know, we weren't like friend friends. I mean, I got closer with Eddie because we did some touring together and stuff and stayed in touch somewhat for a while. I mean, he was, uh, he was like tutoring my son a little bit, you know, on guitar, you know, we had some other things going on for a short period of time, but, um, and I stayed in touch with his camp, you know, uh, and everything, but, um, Randy, uh, yeah, come in. There you go. There you go. Live. We're live, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. It's all right. We'll wait for you. What I'm doing today is I'm building a barn. So with a friend of mine. That's oh, cool. Oh, cool. Yeah, I just take an hour out to told him to go have lunch and we'll, he's back. Let's ask the dog some questions. How you doing, Pope? Yeah, what is the dog's name? We, we're gonna have to find out. Yeah. What do you say there? Probably Ken? Mr. Scary. How do you feel about George's playing? <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. So building cool. a barn. This, now we're going to get into what his building of guitars. He's he's a man. He's quite the craftsman. Yeah. When he comes back, we'll talk about that. Well, hope you guys are enjoying the interview so far. I I want to. Yeah. 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 There he is. Hey, we have to know what's your dog's name. Uh, that's his name is Puppy Power because he has special powers to be cute and basically Damn. doing everything <laughs> for him that he wants you to do by his super cuteness. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. So, up on, and water catchment systems on the roof of my house here. So I've got wow. actually people working here and I'm trying to. Sure. Well, we won't, we won't keep you a, a ton more time. I, I do want, Scott, did you have something before we start talking about his guitar line? Uh, well, I was, you know, you were talking about, you know, uh, Randy and Eddie and, and everything and, you know, with Doc and, you know, you guys you gave you a great platform to showcase your skills and, and your guitar, you know, your guitar playing. And, you know, you hit that pinnacle, you know, after back for the attack and, 
you you went on that Monsters of Rock tour, and I guess you know you, you put out a uh, an interview or whatever that you said that you were kind of de- uh, dispirited and 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 depressed about that um, because I guess you felt you guys were going to go on to the next level um, status of where you were at that time. You felt like you guys were going to uh, you know get to that to that level, and it didn't happen for you. Do you still do you, have you ever t- you know sat down and, and and talked that out with Don about you know the money situation and how things kind of uh, broke up with that? No, because um, that would be like a Democrat trying to talk a Republican into, become, into becoming a Democrat, you know, and not <laughs> for Bernie Sanders. Even though, whether a person believes it or not, they're in, you know, they're. Uh, they're sort of invested in, you know, who they are and what they believe as far as how things worked out. So, you know, discussing and ancient history isn't going to change anything. It doesn't do any good. I don't really care about blaming anybody or I'm just, I don't even care. You know, it's at this point. I mean, would it, you know, uh, there's a lot of ways to think about it. The butterfly effect. I mean, if we had become big giant rock stars, uh, millionaires, uh, maybe that wouldn't have been a good thing. Uh, that, that doesn't, that's not really an argument for it or against it, but I'm just saying that's the argument I would get if I were to bring that up. So I did you a favor by not let, by, you know, I'm, you know, throwing a wrench in your career. So, uh, no, you know, you know, that's just life. I mean, that's how people are in all kinds of business. You know, they, yeah. for, most people are going out for themselves and their own best interests and, you know, I, I don't yeah. really have anything to say about it. I don't know. I don't have any thoughts about it, good or bad at this point. I'm very the fortunate. Old, the this. only other question, because I know the Don George thing has been beat to death and we're not going to do that. The only the only question I have around that is what did it take to get it to where you are able to go out there and do these occasional uh, appearances with Doc, which I know the fans are very grateful for? How did you guys get to the point where that was doable? time <laughs> time yeah and you know uh it's actually an idea that i have been pounding the table about with various agents over decades and just is like guys why don't we do this lynch mob opening it for daca i mean we're entertainers it's show business there's the you know this is gonna it's just more than just music at this point now, there's like a human element to this drama that people would want to go witness mm-hmm. and out and then we do our are they going to get a fist fight or are they going to hug hug it out and it's kumbaya but he loves it and you know half the original band and all this kind of stuff and it's just you know it works so sure, sure. i mean hey you know george we had jeff pilson on a while back and i want to ask you the same question i asked him i want to ask about your under lock and key outfits uh he did he, he made it sound like you guys weren't really happy with that with that look but it was kind of like the record company wanting to doll you up a little bit and and uh is that is that a correct uh statement uh yeah i mean i didn't i i think we kind of wanted to go a little tougher direction but uh we were uh pressured by uh i I think it was management actually because i was like dad i'm not gonna do this this is you know i don't want to be a dick but this is ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) my own suit so this isn't gonna this isn't going to, uh, you know, stand the test of time, I don't think. And, and 
you're going to get your ass down there and you're going to do it. I was told to do it and with no uncertain terms, never angry with him. I showed up. I like the look, man. I did. I was an eighties guy. You guys are, you guys are eighties guy. They all got their own colors. It didn't bother me at all. You know, I it thought never, it was cool. You know, all those outfits were made by the same guy. It was all Ray Brown and he still makes stuff for legacy bands. Judas priest. Uh, everything that they make that they wear is made by Ray Brown. Wow. You know, the turbo so lover. Probably doing Def Leppard. I don't know who he does anymore, but you know, the big bands and his stuff's extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. He has like a slave sweatshop set up somewhere. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have to talk about your guitar line. I'm going to put this up on the screen for those who've been living under a rock and maybe don't know George makes designs and makes guitars and uh, the, the line is called mr scary guitars he they're hand built and created by and george bo- himself and uh george i want to ask you I'm, I'm putting up some pictures of these the craftsmanship is just impeccable i i cannot imagine what goes into making these um how did you learn how to do this and i mean how long did it take to get good at it my whole life because it just, you know, when I was a kid, I used to dink around with all my guitars and, you know, just do all kinds of crazy things to them. Just, I had no idea what I was doing. And I tried to do, I tried to file my frets and, and, and change out pickups and change the shape of the body and add and take subtract things. And I was just always doing that with my amps and my guitars. And I had no knowledge of what I was doing, but over a period of time, of course, you know, with years I, I became better at it. And uh, when I started doing this Mr. Scary guitar thing, uh, it was actually kind of just an accident. I was actually in a wheelchair for, for a little bit, uh, wow. back issues, and I, and I didn't know what to do with myself. So I started, uh, I got a little shop set up at ESP, and I started taking some of my models and just reworking them, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, at first it was just cosmetic, and then I, I took a year luthier class, and I'm still not, I'm not a luthier, but um you know uh and i'm still learning and and i love it i love the process it's a lot like playing where you just get immersed in the moment and it's very sort of zen-like and forget about time and space and you get creative and and this stuff flows and, and it usually works you know these designs i make and things like that it's all kind of desert rustic vibe you know yeah that's what and um there's a certain bunch of people that like that you know and so i i get a i do a good little it's a good little side kind of boutique uh business that just came out of love and passion and and i, and I actually absolutely love it and i'm very proud of it you know it's just a tiny little thing but uh you know i've been doing it i think more than 10 years now i think maybe wow 12 years so i got a shop so- and do you go do you make them all the same way until you're getting good at one shape and then you try to variate from that original shape that you've 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 um started with you know i i've done some different odd things but i, I you know generally stick to strat and telly shapes i've done some bees i'm working on a les paul right now i have done one other les paul that's a completely different animal different scales a thick neck versus you know bolts on neck and, and and this and that but uh uh yeah, my main thing is I'm just, I, I'm really, it's everything I do is kind of like uh, a tribute to San, the San Dimas thing, mm-hmm. you know, Charbel, early Charbel. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, Len Ellsworth and, and, and 
Kroger, Wayne and all that, you know, that's kind of my sweet spot. That's what I love. And I spend a lot of time out there. And people can order these from you off of your website. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, the thing is you would email me and, okay. uh, and then uh, we take it from there. Cause these are very, you know, personal particular instruments. So, sure. you know, you want to have, there's two ways I do this. Some people call up and order a specific thing and I'll work with them. Uh, but I'm trying to make less of that because it's just t- taking up way too much of my time. And, mm. uh, so uh, the other thing I do is I do what I call spec guitars. I just call them that. And what they are is I'll just make anything I feel like making. Mm-hmm. I'm not making anybody in particular. Right. I might five guitars in a, in a month and then I'll just put them up for sale and you get what you, what you see. It's not like I'm having to sit there and work with a client and, make everything exact with respect and I may screw up. It's a disaster this right. way. I'm just make whatever I want. If it comes out good, I, I sell it. If you want it, you get it. a lot of, you get a lot of famous guys uh, requesting guitars or is it just basically like fans and guitar collectors and things like that? Yeah. Not, no, no, no famous people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I got to get back to my barn and my, and my, my, my roof. Okay. Well, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on with us on Tulsa Music Stream. George Lynch, everybody. Have a great day. We appreciate you, George. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks, All right. Take care, everybody. We'll see you. See you there. All right. Bye-bye.